seasons of my life. Well, welcome to week four of the story as, as we take a journey through what God has been doing and, and is doing and is going to do um, with us, planet Earth, the world, the universe. We began with uh, creation, and today we're in week four, and we will be in Exodus shortly. The Bible is like a mural is one of the things that we've learned. It tells a single story. But it takes some work on our part to read the, the story, to understand the story, and then to, to begin to find our place in the story. The five acts that you can well, but, basically but, but, put but, but, out on a, a piece of paper, a napkin, we start in a garden, and, and, and then God does a work for the nation of Israel. And then through Jesus Christ on the cross, his son comes to bring salvation and redemption. And then he does a work through the church, and we're going to end again and the end of the See, Bible the Revelation, and Revelation. How many garden, times have I looked city. into these faces that are so dear to me and said about tithing? Earth. This. Last week, as we had continued our God story, we had talked about the man Joseph. If you've heard me say this. And most people know a little bit about 90% with Joseph, you and God is more than 100% with you on your own. And if you leave God out of your tithing, that's what you are. You're on your own. Why can't I get on traction? Financially, because every paycheck you tell God, I'm better without you. Joseph had moved to Egypt. How's that going? You can see the whole progression. If you have your, your storybooks with you that we're using. Step of faith. It's a step of faith that says, you know what, Lord, you can make 90% more than what 100% was. Who, who wouldn't pick the Lord as a first-round draft choice? The my economic team, I'd pick him. In Joseph's life, you know, he's right. contemplating what is and the going Sabbath on rest and is the how same is way. God doing work to here. believe, the key verse for to really believe that, that, that the ministry will go further and higher with one day away from it, a hundred percent. To believe morning, that the business a, a will go further and higher with a whole day away from it. Now, to help us understand that, he's like, James, there's a lot of emphasis on what we don't do. We cease, we don't work. Um, notice what we do is we rest. We rest. And let me give you these six Sabbath choices here. Pretty quick. I will not work. I will not hurry. Hurrying comes from number three. I will not overschedule. His glasses are so thick, his eyeballs look twice the size. I bet you five times in the last year I've said to people, kind of kidding, I'm like a doctor. If you want me to be on time, come to the first appointment of the morning. By the end of the day, I'm usually 45 minutes behind. How many people kind of get ticked off when that happens to the dog? I'm like a partner in wait. Never leaves early. Good. No one would know. But he doesn't. He broke the rules once. Never again. Will not work Sometimes if the door is open, he'll enter the office. And then this, not for I long, just to look. The suite is larger worship. than his whole apartment. He'll run his fingers over the desk. I'll he'll stroke the soft leather couch. He'll stand at the window and watch worship. the gray sky turn gold. And Actually, the Sabbath he'll remember. was Friday at sundown to he Saturday at sundown. So we're Back when Hank was Henry. Back when the custodian was an executive. That, um, long time ago. Before the night shift. Before the mop bucket. Before the maintenance uniform, so before the scandal, Hank doesn't think about it much now. No reason to. Got in trouble, got fired, 
got out. That's it. Not many people know about it. Some of you it's better that way. Sundays. No need to tell them. It's, more it's his secret. Hank's story. Is what it is. By the way, it's a true story. Change the name, change a few details. Give him a different job, put him in a different century. But the story's factual. You've heard it. I'll tell you about it in a minute. But there's more to the story. Hank's story. Happens to a lot of people, dreamers. In Hank's case, it was a mistake he could never forget, a grave mistake. Hank had killed someone. He came upon a thug beating up an innocent man, and Hank lost control. He killed the mugger. When word got out, Hank got out. Hank would rather hide than go to jail, so he ran. The executives became fugitives. True story. Common story. Most stories aren't quite as extreme as Hank. Few spend their lives running from the law. Many, however, live with regret. I could have gone on to college and on a golf scholarship. That's what some people think. I could have. But then they messed up. Now they're stuck. But Hank, well, something happened here. He saw a man who settled for the mediocre. He's trained in the finest institutions in the world, yet he worked the night shift at a minimum wage job so he wouldn't be seen in the day. But all that changed when he heard the voice from a mop bucket. Did I mention this is, this is true story? At first he thought the voice was a joke. Some of the guys on the third floor would play these kinds of tricks. Henry, Henry, the voice called. Hank turned. No one called him Henry anymore. Henry, Henry. He turned toward the pail. It was glowing, bright red, hot red. He could feel the heat ten feet away. He stepped closer and he looked in. The water wasn't boiling. Just strange. Hank mumbled to himself as he took another step to get a closer look. But the boy stopped. Don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Suddenly Hank realized it was God speaking. I know it sounds crazy. Almost irreverent. God speaking from a hot mop bucket to a janitor named Hank. Who would believe it? How are we doing? Are we good? I don't know. Is that one easier? To believe than God speaking from burning bush to a guy on the side of a mountain. Because it's the same story, really, right? Well, that's the story Max Cato told as the intro of this session. So, watch this quick video before we jump into Exodus and talk about Moses. In the beginning, God created the universe, and within it, a planet called Earth. God's spirit hovered over the dark and empty surface, speaking life into it. Light appeared. Sky and land split from the ocean. Trees and plants grew. Days and nights began. And all kinds of creatures filled the Earth. Humans were formed in God's image to continue God's work. Things were really good. But soon... Humans decided, we want to live our way, not God. In their struggle for control, selfishness and violence filled the world. So God started over with just Noah and his family. A few generations later, God made this covenant to a man named Abraham. The land around you, as far as you can see, is now yours. Your family will be as many as the stars and will be my blessing to the entire world. Years passed. Then miraculously, in their old age, Abraham and his wife had their only son, Isaac, just as God promised decades earlier. Later, Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. Then Jacob had 12 sons. 
The youngest, Joseph, moved the family to Egypt, saving them from a famine. There, they grew into a large nation, a people called to be different, to remind everyone what it looks like to live in God's way. After Joseph and his brothers died, the population of Israelites living in Egypt exploded. It grew so large that the new pharaoh was fearful that they would form an army against Egypt. So he made the Israelites slaves, forcing them to make bricks all day long. Then Pharaoh took it a step further. He issued a ruling that all newborn Hebrew boys should be killed. Soon after that, an Israelite woman gave birth to a son. Fearful he would be killed, she put him in a basket and placed him in the Nile River. The basket floated downstream and was found by Pharaoh's daughter. She raised the boy in Pharaoh's palace as if he were her own child. She named him Moses. Years later, Moses saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave. Moses became angry and murdered the Egyptian. Fearing for his own life, Moses fled into the wilderness where he became a shepherd. One day while he was tending his flock, he saw something A bush that was engulfed in flames but was not burning up. Then Moses heard God's voice coming from the bush. God had seen the suffering of the Israelites and wanted Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. So Moses went back to Egypt and met with Pharaoh. He asked that the Israelites be given a short break from their labor to hold a festival to worship God. Pharaoh not only denied the request, but made the Israelites work even more difficult to punish them. But this was just the beginning. To prove that God was on Israel's side, God brought great disasters called plagues on Egypt. God made all the water of Egypt turn into blood, filled the land with frogs and insects, sent diseases to kill the Egyptian animals, gave the people terrible swords, and brought terrible thunderstorms and terrifying darkness. Then God sent one final plague. God protected the Israelites by giving instructions to each family to take a perfect sheep, sacrifice it, and put its blood on the door frames of their house. The Israelites did what God commanded. At midnight, God moved throughout Egypt, and every firstborn son, including Pharaoh, were killed. But God passed over every house that had blood on its doorstep. Pharaoh was so overwhelmed that he practically begged the Israelites to leave. So in the middle of the night, after living there for 430 years, the Israelites left Egypt. However, Pharaoh once again changed his mind the Israelites. They chased them for miles until finally they trapped the Israelites at the edge of the Red Sea. But God instructed Moses to strike the water with his walking stick. When he did, a strong wind blew across the sea, creating dry land for the Israelites to walk across. After they reached the other side, God caused the water to crash back down, drowning all of the Egyptians who were following close behind. The Israelites journeyed far away from Egypt. Along the way, God took care of them, giving them quail in the evenings and flakes of bread called manna in the morning. 
times the Israelites complained about their living conditions, but Moses would remind them of God's goodness and continue to lead them toward the land God had promised them. So what was God up to? We've looked at the stories in Genesis and now we're in Exodus. We've looked at various people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, this morning Moses. And what we've learned in the last couple of weeks is that the story is really not about these people. It's really God's story. It's really about what God is doing. It's his story. It's history in the making of what God is doing in the world and why he's doing it. So what is God up to with Moses? What is he really all about? And as we're painting the big picture through our series of story, this video encapsulates the first 18 chapters of Exodus. Next week, we'll pick up in chapter uh, 19 of Exodus with the Ten Commandments. But so as God delivers his people, that's what we're looking at today. God delivers his people, and he prospers them. The thing that we have to understand about God is that, yes, he's the deliverer. Yes, this is a story about deliverance, but, but there is a backstory and there's a, a forward story to it as well. So God prospers. How does God prosper people? Because he's, his promises are fulfilled. Look with me at Genesis 15, verse 5. It'll probably be on the screen for you. God had said to Abraham when he took him outside, he said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you're able to count them, and he said, and your offspring will be that numerous. God is promising Abraham that he will have numerous, numerous, numerous descendants. In Genesis 22, verse 17, he says to him again, after the, the test of his son Isaac, he had waited 25 years, and then he says, he gives him Isaac, and God, God, uh, excuse me, then God says, sacrifice him, give me your one and only son. And so Abraham is willing to do so. Showing full trust in God. He believed that God would actually raise him from the dead because he was the promised son, that God was going to bring more descendants to him. And here in, in 22 17, God says, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. In other words, nothing's going to stop this from happening. No enemy is going to stop. If you remember back in uh, Genesis 12, God had said that he will bless those who bless you and he will curse those who curse you. We continue in, in Genesis, and we saw in Genesis 26, verse 4, that God said, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. Again, he says it. I will give your offspring all these lands, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. This was repeated multiple times to Abraham. It was repeated to Isaac. It was repeated to Jacob. It is a continuously repeated promise that God promises to fulfill. But how else can we see God prospering in the scriptures? He not only fulfilled the promise, but he made his people fruitful. And this is what leads to the Pharaoh's response. He made his people fruitful. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The Israelites were, now catch all these words, they were fruitful. They increased rapidly. They multiplied, and they became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. The point of the narrator of Scripture, Moses, is that the people are growing as God has said they would. That promises are being fulfilled. That God is making the people fruitful. The very things he originally said in Genesis 1 to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and fill the earth. The same things he said to Noah after the flood, be fruitful and fill the earth. He's now actually fulfilling with Abraham's seed. We are denying that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. All of this made Pharaoh furious. You can see that Pharaoh is furious 
was not a real We're going to see Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. The very next verses after God had so prospered and so made them plentiful and and true love love on this Valentine's edition of Family Life this week. Stay tuned. Exodus is connected with Genesis. If you don't know the Genesis story, you don't understand what's going on here. So this is what's down to the future through Joseph. Joseph was the second most powerful man in the world. Welcome to Family Life this week. I'm Michelle Hill. The president of Family Life is Dennis Rainey. Love, true love. You recognize that? After all, it is the season of Valentine's Day. It is the season for love. Valentine's Day can be lonely for some folks. Singles without a significant other feel the loss, and so do some couples who are walking through struggles. Valentine's, like other holidays, well, it can magnify the hurt or loss for many. But remember, life is more than romance and marriage. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. The harshness, the repetition of the words of, of difficult and ruthless are to tell you something about the Pharaoh and how he views them and how he's treating people. In verse 16 of Exodus 1, he further said to them, because his plan was not stopping the growth. He said, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, he said this to the midwife. Children, that observe as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. If it's a daughter, And so here you see that the hard labor, the ruthless work, the backbreaking slave labor is not stopping the fruitfulness of the people because God is blessing them, because God is making them fruitful. And so he says, we'll try this another way. Kill the boys. Without boys, they can't reproduce. And yet, it doesn't work. Because the midwives fear God and they refuse. You have to make a decision in your life. Do you serve God or do you serve me? The Apostle Paul was told to stop preaching the word. He said, I cannot stop preaching the word. I will choose to obey God rather than man. The midwives obeyed God. They feared God. The fear of the Lord means they loved and they obeyed God. And so in chapter 1, verse 22, Pharaoh then commands all the people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let the daughters live. Why? Because the the Hebrew midwives are not killing them as they're coming out. And so fine, you're going to let them be born? We'll let them be born. And then we're going to throw them to the gators in the Nile. Let them get eaten by the crocodiles. But not only do we see how God prospers, but we see that God protects. God protects his people. God protects his people because of the relationship that is involved. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, when God calls Moses out, We'll talk about the calling in a, in a few minutes, but when God calls Moses out, as you saw in the video, and 
we know the story of Exodus, you know, he's on that mountainside and the bush that's on fire, but it doesn't get consumed, which is so weird that we always think, oh, it's on fire. Well, in that area, they have these bushes that just kind of have this combustible fire about them, but it didn't burn up the bush. So he goes to check it out, and God speaks to him, and God tells him that when he's going to go to Pharaoh in Exodus 4, verse 22, 23, he says, this is what Yahweh says, Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, and now I will kill your firstborn son. Now you need to catch the repetition of the firstborn son relationship language. Yahweh was now seen to be the father of these people, of this nation that he is forming called Israel. Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He's going to be the, the father of a nation, not just a group of people anymore. He had brought Israel into becoming a nation. He fostered the nation. He led the nation. And this is what fatherhood is about. So Moses would reason in his final speech to Israel, is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? That's what he says in Deuteronomy. The text pointedly uses the singular for this whole community of Israel collectively. Whenever the Old Testament refers to individual Israelites, it uses the plural, you are the children of the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 14.1, for instance. But the individual Israel was also a son of God precisely because he was a member of the chosen people. And so God's firstborn son, the firstborn. What does he mean by that? It was the right a primogenitor that was superseded when another son was designated as firstborn. What had previously rested on position and chronology was now removed and grounded in grace. Think about Jacob. Jacob and Esau. Okay? Esau was the firstborn. He was the first in position. But what did God do? God gave him Jacob. And Jacob became the firstborn, not physically, but of rank and of importance. That's what you need to understand when you see this firstborn in Scripture used in this way. He's the firstborn. So Egypt and Pharaoh are going to lose their firstborn physically for failure to recognize God's firstborn, Israel. This is a relationship that God has created going back to the covenant of Abraham, that he will be their God and they will be his people, to be his people, to be his family. In the New Testament, we'll find that Jesus is the firstborn. Firstborn is not about physical birth. It's not about being born physical. It is about this aspect of this title, of this prominence, of this blessing, of this status with God. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Jesus, too, Walt Kaiser says in the promised plan of God, he says he, too, was addressed by what had become by then a technical term. He, too, was delivered out of Egypt and was given the same family term, my son, in Matthew 2.15. Compare also Hosea 11.1. Moreover, he was God's firstborn, Romans 8.29, Colossians 1.15 and 18. That's a verse that a lot of other belief systems use to say that Jesus was created. He was firstborn. They don't understand the term. The technical term talking about this aspect here. It's a title that he shares also. So you can look with Hebrews 12, 23 and how it talks about the relationship with us. So as, as you see from both the Old Testament all the way through this New Testament, so this term given to Israel is then used by Jesus to talk about his relationship to God in the New Testament. Not only 
of this beautiful was first born, dealing with that relationship, but God had now brought them into becoming a chosen nation. They were more than just a family or children of God, but now he's bringing them into a new nation. Okay, using the word goyim, goy, goyim, for nation. Exodus 19, 6. This fact first became evident when the Lord told Moses at the burning bush, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. God looks down and he sees his people, he sees the misery, and he's going to gather up his people. I have seen the misery of who? My people. It's relationship. Like we called people meant that they were an ethnic and social group with enough numerical strength and enough unity to be regarded as a corporate whole, yet they were so intimately linked to Yahweh that he called them my people. So that's the end of the nation of the world. It's a, it's a nation that God has created, that God has fathered. Sons, firstborn, possession, nation, all of these phrases coming together. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. He says, I will take you as my I'm filled in the Lord, and I have life to give to her. And the same is true for her. And when people understand that, then they're not sucking the life out of one another and needing so much from one another, but they're getting they're getting their, their water from this fountain of life, which is God himself. Well, and that's why it's so important, too, for those who are in a marriage where only one of them is spiritually minded and they do not have a believing husband or wife to say, you know what, it is still very possible for you to display the gospel alone. That There is some loneliness involved in that, and that's not something we make light of, but it is still very, very possible. And so God has this chosen group of people, this nation, this people, his firstborn sons, that he's going to redeem. They will become the redeemed of the Lord. Exodus 6, 6, he says, Therefore tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh, I will deliver you from the forced labor of the Egyptians and from and free you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Outstretched arm means God is going to demonstrate his power. He is going to do some mighty acts. He's going to demonstrate his power in setting them free. This idea of redemption. That God is going to set free his people. In Exodus 15 and 13, he says, You will lead the people you have redeemed with your faithful love. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. This is with your strength. This is the song sung after the freeing from Egypt. The people of Miriam, etc., they break into song. Talking about how God will lead the people that he has redeemed with his faithful love. That's that Hebrew word, chesed. Is about God's faithful covenant love. That when He makes a promise, He will make sure to keep it. In your translations, you might see sometimes uh, faithful love or covenant love, or sometimes they translate it as mercy, and you won't catch that that's what it's talking about. But it's connected back to the covenant that God made with His people that is unbreakable because He never lies and always keeps His word. Except for Jacob's blessing in Genesis chapter 48, verse 16, these two references are the first occasion that the Bible uses for this word, this language of redemption. It's that word goel that is uh, referred to for uh, Boaz in the book of Ruth. The near kinsman 
who acts as a protector, a defender, an avenger, a rescuer for other members of the family, especially in situations of threat, loss, poverty, or injustice. God is going to come in and rescue not just anybody, not just a stranger. He might do that too, but that's not what we're talking about. He's going to come in and rescue his people, his family. There's a relationship here that he has initiated Israel with his and why was this to happen? What, what is God up to? What, what is his purpose in all of this? Okay? He not only protects his people, but he protects his purpose. The purpose of God. What is his purpose? Related to the name. Now, this is something in Scripture that you've got to grasp. If you don't grasp this when you study the Exodus story, you will miss what the Exodus is all about. Welcome back to Family Life this week. I'm the name, to know his name. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. What does it mean that the, the Lord's glory covers the earth, that everybody knows who he is, that the fame of God is spread everywhere? Look at this in Exodus 3, verse 13 and 15. So Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? In other words, like, who are you? Uh, what is our relationship with you? Or what, what are you doing? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Difficult. I think we, we live in a phrase, Christian right? context where we read that it's often presumed that, that is if what you are marriage, you're just this loose end that needs to be tied so up or something. And so I don't think we normally Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I remember in every generation. So this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you and highlight every time you see the God of Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob, you will see that this is a repeated theme also. So it's my wife and 2.5 children and a dog and a suburban Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them. Well, what is he talking about? Because the name Yahweh is in Genesis. So there's some aspect of what God is doing that he hasn't previously quite disclosed. So up on the screen is this phrase that you might not be able to pronounce. That one right there. That's the I am that I am. So we've got to rethink what it means to be a complete human being. One of the problems with that is that in our culture, intimacy and sex are going to look things in each other. And so people assume today that sex and intimacy always go together, that there is no kind of intimacy that is not essentially sexual. And in the Bible,
much that and now, you this weekend and meditate now he's and find taking the joy out of where God has you content where's Pharaoh's name come from Pharaoh's so recently joined oh. Dennis Rainey and Bob Lapine on Family Live Sunday. today you'll want to check out the that Pharaoh's interview by going to our website familylifethisweek.com basically be God on earth they were the incarnate God, if you will, to a video of the Son of God. Singleness and God in is the demonstrating church. by putting Go up their life. Again, that's they are not. See, he is the one that causes the okay, sun to rise in the sky. He is the one that brings light like you the sun in Genesis. God said that there'd be light in there was light. God is demonstrating to the players his greatness and his glory. You see a running theme throughout Scripture. The theme that there is through your salvation there's a judgment. All all through the Scripture. That's how it was with the floods of Noah. In the judgment, there was salvation. Mankind was wiped out. Egyptians were wiped out. Not only are there the plagues, so that is one of the things that God does, but he does something more than that. He institutes something called the Passover. You saw it in the video. They painted the, the lamb of blood on the door, and the death angel would pass over. Station partners around the country. Skip their house. They wouldn't die. So they become protected. When this play. Who will be waving at you? by Dr. David Sutton. Now in his second decade of underwriting this afternoon broadcast on the new LA50 WTLN. Dr. Sutton has offices at 2813 South Hiawassee in the Metro West area of Orlando, encompassing a full range of dental services, including preventative, corrective, and cosmetic care, all performed in a family atmosphere, now accepting new patients. Dr. David Sutton. 407-578-3093. I want to show you how you can be sure to retire with all the money you need. Hi, I'm Troy Peterson with Pomabella Consulting. You've played by the financial rules all your life. The problem is these rules are designed to make money for the banks and not for you. Well, now it's time to turn the table so you can be sure to have all the money you need to retire. I want to show you how. We use a proven method for certain growth and tax-free income. We use the same... Why would Egyptians leave Egypt when God's people were leaving? Most likely because they had seen the great acts of God and they recognized and realized we've never seen anything like this before. He must be the one true God. Our gods cannot do any of this. Some actually believe. You see this throughout Scripture. Rahab, 
God not only demonstrates his power, but God distinguishes his people to come out from among them to be separate. The word holy means separate, distinguished, different, set apart. The plague did not fall on the Israelites. The first couple did. The rest did not. They were in Goshen in separate lands. When the plague of darkness came about, all of Egypt was dark. It was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, it says. But if you looked in Goshen, you could see the light. You know why? Because they were supposed to be the light of God's people to the nation, to the people living in darkness. You, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are the son of God today, not Jesus the son of God, a son or a daughter, a child of God, born again, bought by his blood, you are to be the light in the dark world. You students are to be the light in your middle schools and high schools that are filled with people wandering around in darkness who are living lives that they don't have a clue about, that they don't realize that the actions they're committing now are going to ruin their lives in the future. You are to be the light to them. They pretended to be sincere. This is the very definition of hypocrisy. The Passover was involved. Wearing a mask. insincerity. What was the judgment to the Egyptians was a deliverance to God's people. Hatred. But they... Not only did he distinguish his people, but he destroyed Pharaoh's like He will not stand against God. And in their the psalmist in Psalm 1 tells us that in the day of judgment, the wicked will not stand. Teacher, we will not stand against God's judgment. That you speak we will destroy and God's teach rightly. The plague, the parting of the waters, we know again, the salvation in the midst of the judgment. The waters of the Red Sea are parted. The Israelites, God's chosen people, his firstborn, his nation, they go across on dry ground. And the enemy comes right behind them and swallowed up by the water. What was judgment for the Egyptians was deliverance and salvation for God's people. The last main point this morning, I think, is, is that God provides. He provides in a couple of ways. He provides in his covenant. The covenant is an agreement. It's a deal. God cut a deal with Abraham. God made a deal. He made a promise to I mentioned already the crying out. That God's people cried out. And that he remembered them. In Exodus 3, 7, it says, The Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I knew about their sufferings. Look at the word. I've observed. I've heard. I know.
why is the exodus from Passover still celebrated today? It's celebrated to celebrate the I Am who creates. The I Am that continues to sustain. The I Am who's, who's returning in all this glory so that all the world will know him. Responding in the wilderness. And the first reason what, what do you find when they leave? Not only does he remember, but he responds. They, they go in the wilderness, and as you saw in the intro video, in Exodus 15, Why verses 22 to 26, they need water, and they complain about water. Well, he says in the scriptures, everywhere Jesus went, says, Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. And they journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. And they came to Merah, but they could not drink the water at Merah because it was bitter. And that's why it's named Merah. And the people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he drew from the water, the water became drinkable. He made a statute and an ordinance for them at Merah, and he tested them there. Get that, he tested them. The wilderness is a place of testing. Jesus went into the wilderness before he began his ministry. You will have wilderness. You will have testing. Every good father disciplines or tests his children, the scripture says in Hebrews. If you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his eyes, pay attention to his commands, keep all the statutes, I will not inflict any illness on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh who heals you. They came to Elam where there was 12 springs of water and 70 date palms. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Scribes had a certain contempt for the common people. And now they see Jesus. He didn't only respond with water. He brought water out of a rock for them. You know what it's like to feed water to two million people or to bring bread to two million people? That's about how many they probably were. He brings the man and the quail in Exodus 16. I don't have time to read all that. Read Exodus 16 this week. Before Jesus came, they want bread. He gives them manna. Six days out of the week, they wake up in the morning, and there are those pastries. They just pluck them off the ground. They sat in the highest places in the synagogue. They were the ones who were most honored and celebrated for their virtue. But their virtue itself, as Jesus saw it repeatedly, was a pretense. He's not just remembering and responding. He's revealing himself. Men's tombs. Why did sepulchers that are painted without blemish on the surface, but inside, filled with dead men's bones? You clean the outside of the platter, but the other side, the inner side, is filthy. And you do everything possible to hide that impurity and that grime and that filthiness. Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah eventually went. God called him. It's never a good idea to try to tell God no. It doesn't work well for you. Check Jonah, right? He did accommodate him. He sent Aaron with him. He's talking to Moses in the desert. Aaron's in Egypt. And Moses is saying how he doesn't want to go. Send someone else. God says, uh, okay, fine. Listen, I'll tell you what. Um, Aaron's actually on his way here to meet you. Why? Because God's already told Aaron to go. So uh, I'll let Aaron go with you too, all right? But just go do what I said. And so Moses eventually goes. They're calling out. But not only, not only is God providing in his covenant, but he's providing in circumcisions. And you might think this is a weird place to end the sermon. 
but it actually is fitting. Because if you understand what this is all about, when the people are crying out and God responds, the circumcision is an important aspect to it because it's the sign of the covenant. It's the sign that indicated that they were God's people. So what you have to understand is that everything we've just talked about, God was doing to make his name great, and he was doing it in a way to bless his people. His people. It's always about making his name famous. And he's doing it through his people. In the Old Testament, his people was Israel. In the New Testament, his people becomes the church. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians, I think it's chapter 4, that if you're a believer, if you're a follower, you really trust God, Jesus, for your salvation, that you have the same faith Abraham had. Therefore, you are of the seed of Abraham. You don't have to physically be born from Abraham's loins. You have the spiritual seed of Abraham. You have the same faith in the same God as Abraham, and therefore you're a spiritual Jew, a spiritual Israel. When Jesus had a conversation with the Pharisees, they said, we know who our father is, but who is yours? We're not just talking physical fathers. They are halfway, but Jesus isn't. They said, we know our father is Abraham. And Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am. This is where he thinks of God. And before Abraham was, I am. Like, what are you talking about? You ain't even 50 yet, boy. They're like, no, you don't understand. Before Abraham was, I am. And by the way, you are of your father's You see, Jesus went from physical to spiritual. He's saying, I don't care if your great, 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 great granddaddy was Abraham. If you don't have the faith of Abraham, he's not your dad. So circumcision was all about demonstrating in a physical way that you were committed to revolution. Who wanted to throw off the yoke of tyranny of the foreigners who held them captive. And you'll see one revolt after another in the history of Israel. And one revolt after another being quashed by the power of the enemy. And so their lives were spared. There were people who were numbered among Jesus' disciples who were called zealots. There were at least two of them probably more in the company of Jesus. And it was the goal of the zealots like jihad. In the New Testament, that's not a sign of being God's people. Paul says in Romans 8 that if you have the Holy Spirit, you're God's person. He says that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you immediately get the Holy Spirit at that moment. And that cries out, child of God. The Holy Spirit cries out in you, Abba, Father, to God. That's your connection to God. You have his Holy Spirit living inside of you, connecting you to God. We don't have a physical sign anymore that demonstrates it. Jesus also said they'll know you by your love one for another. That's how we really are. That's how we demonstrate. That's how you're a light. That's how you're a Goshen in Egypt. The sign of the covenant. Additionally, Paul talks about having a circumcised heart. He doesn't mean in here. You don't have to go have heart surgery. But you do need to have heart surgery. You have to humble yourself before God. Instead of cutting off a piece of flesh, you need to humble yourself. That's how you build a kingdom. That's how you build a nation. What was he thinking about? If 
we don't get rid of Jesus, we're going to have the Roman government down yeah, on our back. Do that. We'll have another because revolution, God's and another bloodbath, and it'll be a whole more for us. So they didn't want to be associated with the one who was troubling Israel. You know, so many times from Christians and receive arrows in the back. Those don't come till after the redemption, so to speak. God's already freed them out of the boat and bring the wrath of their enemies. Relationship comes first. Remember that. Relationship as we follow in the footsteps of Christ. And so it was. You have that relationship with God. hated him and despised him for those of other reasons, perhaps. And so finally, they get to the point where they come and they bring the question before them. And listen to what the question is. Father, we come to you this morning knowing that you hear our prayers. We come to you this morning knowing that you see what's going on. We come to you this morning knowing that your desire is for us to know you. More importantly, your desire is that we would be known by you. That you would know us in an intimate way. That we would be part of your family like Israel was your son. We would be your taxes. God, I pray this morning for anyone that might be here this morning that is not sure of that. That if you're moving in their hearts, that they would call out to you this morning. They might just call out where they're sitting and admit to you and say something like this, that God, I realize I'm far from you. I, I, I'm not part of your family. I don't even really maybe know what that means. But I realize that what I've been doing in my life isn't really working the best. And what I've been doing in my life definitely is not putting you first and running my whole life around you. So I confess, Lord, that that's wrong. You made me. You should be first. I'm going to face you when I die. You should be first. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for living for my own desires. I believe that Jesus did die on the cross and pay for my sins. I believe Jesus is coming back again. Forgive me of my sins. Take away my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I surrender myself to you today. I want to be part of your moment. Teach me how to live. Who was the son of Augustus, the emperor Augustus Caesar, who was emperor when Jesus was born. But now, this morning, Christian, 